Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. The clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to tunein.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. Speaking of integrity, how about the integrity of the guys that are doing it clean? How about the guys that are pitching their tails off in Major League Baseball and doing it clean that have an unfair competitive advantage for the guys that are clearly loading up with concoctions that they actually advertise? Don't do anything to hide, even in plain view. That's the guys I'm speaking for. I'm speaking up for the hitters that have a living to make, facing stuff that's already really, really good. And you can see, based on spin rates, how guys' careers are jumping off the charts. And then you can do cause and effect. Spin rate. Save it. <laughs> like it's not spin rate, it's cheat rate. <laughs> That's Ron Coomer on the Cubs broadcast. After he was reacting, I think he was reacting to, uh, was it Bauer? Bouncing pitch after pitch in the Cubs-Dodgers series. And before that is Mike Schilt, the Cardinals manager, going off on Joe West for coming out and disrupting the game with Giovanni Gallegos' hat. It is hit and run, the score's venerable baseball show on a Sunday morning. We've got two first-place teams in town. We spent our first hour talking about that. Next hour at 11 o'clock, Sarah Langs, S. Langs on Sports, MLB.com writer, will join us and hope to have a conversation with Tommy Nance in the final hour. He's a terrific story and a really fun pitcher to watch. But right now, um, one of my favorite guys to read and to have a conversation with about baseball. We had a great one uh, couple of months back and then he went out and did a terrific piece on this issue on the sticky stuff it is travis sawchick you can read him over at thescore.com senior mlb writer over there author of several books and living in spinsburg not spincinnati but now in spinsburg travis sawchick good morning and welcome to the show how are you uh, great to be back with you uh, thank you. You too. I loved your piece. You sought out a place, a teacher, and substances to test the sticky stuff out before. It's called Performance Velocity Systems. It's the only facility, as you wrote, with a Rapsodo spin tracking device in western Pennsylvania, other than the Major League facility of the Pirates. So that's that's interesting, and it's you and a couple minor league pitchers. Um, and their numbers are something, but I enjoyed focusing on your numbers. You have good pitchers' hair, by the way. So, you know, good work on that. But, like, when did you pitch? Because you, you maxed out at uh, 59 miles an hour, I, I believe. So what's your pitching history going into this uh, research? <laughs> it, is, uh, it is extremely limited, as you could probably uh, take an educated guess and look at those velocity numbers. Uh, 
like an in youth ball as a position player, so I, I have no uh, no pitching pedigree to speak of. But I wanted to get on there with uh, well, we wanted to experiment with a couple of the the college guys who were included in the story, and then I wanted to go on there too just to see if there's kind of uniform increases. We weren't so interested in the the raw velocity as the uh, you know the spin change and uh, you know the the real key number is the miles per hour the RPM. Uh, miles per hour ratio and that's that's really what we're trying to get into so even with a pathetic fastball like mine i i thought we were able to prove that there are that not only that sticky stuff makes a, a huge difference in performance but there's varying degrees of sticky stuff i mean rosin gives you an edge and that's been on major league bounds forever uh, mm-hmm. i don't think anyone's talking about outline rosin but when you get into the other stuff the uh <laughs> when you weaponize spider tack that's a whole different animal and the uh, performance gains just even from someone like me experimenting with it for a couple hours in a facility in Pittsburgh, it's that's pretty eye-opening. So you used rosin, uh, the rosin bag, which is the legal stuff. You combined that with bullfrog sunscreen, which we've known about for years the pitchers are doing, spraying some on their arm and then mixing that with the rosin. You used a substance called firm grip, and then you used the spider tack. And... And, and the, you know, I don't want to get too lost in the numbers for my Sunday morning listeners who kind of get overwhelmed by it. But you figured out um, and, and I, I'm not demeaning. I don't mean to be demeaning to you Sunday morning listeners. I get overwhelmed by it myself. But the, the number that you tracked on, you ended up calling it a Bauer unit for Trevor Bauer, who's like the first guy who did this. And it's the relationship of spin to mile per hour. And let's just tell people that yours jumped from 25.7, which is not that different from the major league average. So regardless of speed, this is the relationship of spin to velocity. It jumped from 25.7 up to 29.5. And that's just with the firm grip stuff. Did it go even higher than that with the spider tack? <laughs> it did jump up more with the uh, the spider tack. And yeah, the, the firm grip is a really uh, sticky substance too. And yeah, that number, uh, I mean, it kind of, put it in context a little bit that might not mean anything to someone who's not uh looked into this at all but it basically means more spin means more movement it's physics it's uh magnus effect it's how uh if you really want to dive into fluid dynamics it's something it's uh it just pushes the ball it resists it makes a four-seam fastball resist gravity a little longer it makes it appear to rise it makes a slider slide more a curveball break more uh so yeah those are significant numbers and uh you know, my, my miles per hour is obviously nothing like a major league pitcher, but the, the, the Bauer unit, that RPM to miles per hour ratio, is most people, regardless of talent level, are in that like probably 22 to 26 range with no substance added. And then when you add substance, you jump up to, you know, 26 to 30, depending on what you're using and that sort of thing. So it makes a huge difference. And it, uh, it, there's no doubt it's a culprit between uh, – when looking at the major league batting average being what it is, flirting with the historical low, strikeout rates continue to rise every year. The the major league batting average on average spin rate on a fastball is like 264 this year, pretty reasonable. But if you bump up 300 RPMs to 2,500 plus, the average slips to 217. Swinging this goes way up. So this is this is a big deal. I mean, people will say, well, foreign substances have always been a part of the game. Pitchers have always used them, and that's true. But What's different and what I tried to show with the Rapsodo is the no one's guessing anymore. You can go to a, every pro team has multiple Rapsodo units. It's spring training complex or the major league facility. 
and you can or independent facilities like I went to and pitchers can go out and see what substances do what. They're not only designing better pitchers at these pitches at these places, but those who are curious enough are learning how to cheat better and how to kind of weaponize sticky stuff. So yes, it's true. Pitchers have always looked to gain an edge, but now they uh, they've taken it to a scientific <laughs> level and uh, the understanding of performance and how it affects it is just a different level. Yeah, it 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 really is amazing. Your piece, Travis Sochik's on the score was terrific. There's one by Stephanie Epstein on Sports Illustrated this week with a lot of different sources talking about the training room is the scene of the crime. Pitchers go there before games. They swipe tongue depressors on stuff, and they put it wherever on their glove or wherever they want, and afterwards they go back to the training room, and they grab rubbing alcohol to dissolve the residue, you know, and it's just amazing stories about there about how pervasive it is. I started with this, and I guess I want to ask you, and you alluded to it. I'm growing increasingly convinced that this is an enormously important an effective component of any plan to fix baseball. That if they ironed out this issue, and that's why I keep talking about it, if they regulated this issue, that we would see a dramatic increase of balls in play. Like, I, I don't know if you can put a percentage on it, but, but how big of, of the mix of issues is this one to the problem? Yeah, it's, uh, I think it's really significant. It's, it's hard to put a number on it because not everyone is cheating and not everyone is cheating effectively. Uh, but a lot of pitchers are, and I think, you know, as soon as the track man data started to show pitchers what spin rates, what their spin rates were in 2015, and the correlation to swing and miss and opponent batting average, you know, there were more adopters, more people dig it in. So it's become a bigger issue every year since Statcast has come online. You've, we've seen those uh, power unit, the RPM to mile per hour ratio, increase every year to Statcast era. Uh, I think it was 24 flat in 2015 and now it's 24.8, 24.9. So it's jumped up a little bit every year. And so it's suggesting that pitchers are, uh, and that's just forcing fastballs because there's no known way to uh, change fastball spin without extra velocity or extra stuff. Uh, mm. Change that unit. But to your point, uh, yeah, I think it's a huge deal. And just uh, that number I said it earlier, the difference, the opponent batting average on forcing fastballs with about league average spin rate is 264 this year, as I noted in the story. And if you jump up about 253 RPMs from that, it's 217. And that's just the 2,500 RPM mark. If you go up even higher, it's even lower. So, uh, yeah, it, it would be a huge deal. If you could guarantee that every pitcher is going out to the pit amount with, with just rods and or clean hands or, or, or whatever, there would be a, there'd be at least 10 points in batting average gained by MLB hitters, maybe a lot more than that. And, it would be an offensive surge uh, if mm. you could guarantee that pitchers weren't using sticky stuff. Uh, now, policing it is a different story, but uh, if it was able to be done, it would have a dramatic impact on uh, offensive performance. Ah, uh, yes, policing it, which we all knew was going to be an issue, no matter you know, no, no matter what the decision ended up being. So, see, let's. So far, our options are uh, Joe West. Just going rogue by himself. Uh, that's one option. I'm convinced, by the way, that this is how that went down. Rob Manfred in attendance for Joe West's big game in Chicago, right? Um, the, the game where he, where he broke the record. And Manfred says, hey, as long as we're doing this, would you help me out? Would you go police this? And then what? The, the next day, hey, look at Giovanni's hat. Joe West has a thought. So, um, look, we flew in the Oak Ridge Boys to do your anthem. The least you can do is, is, is this for us. Um, but so that, that's an option. And now they're talking about doing it. Can you really do this in season? 
It is so pervasive. I mean, the Cubs have found themselves a contender, which completely changes their trade deadline in part based on breakout after breakout in the bullpen, which frankly may or may not be helped by sticky stuff. I don't know, but like, how can you change just one team? That's just an example. All these different team narratives, these organizational narratives over a season by policing this in the middle of the year seems crazy to me. It it does. uh, Yeah. it, It, I assume if baseball is serious on June 14th and, starting to police this it's going to create a lot of issues but uh i think if you if there's an unfortunate pitcher or two who's singled out and they're suspended for i think 10 games is the uh, the going rate mm-hmm. i the deterrent effect i think would be significant it wouldn't stop everyone but it would stop a portion of of pitchers and you know i don't know if you could uh, are, are they i want to see this are they really going to check pitchers eight to ten times a game like uh, buster only reported Yesterday, if they implement this plan, I, I think that would be another uh, – I don't know how, how effective it would be at catching everyone, but I think it would be another powerful deterrent effect. And maybe over the course of the year in an offseason, there, there's a, a, a thoughtful plan that could be put in place to eliminate a lot of this. Uh, hmm. Because I think ultimately, if, you, if you're a pitcher, uh, you should want to be on a level playing field. Uh, if you're a batter, you should want the stuff is so good right now without the stuff. Uh, you should. Uh, I know guys are worried about getting hit with increasing velocity, but rosin should give pitchers or something along those lines should give them enough grip help where uh, I don't know that the hit ball hit by pitcher rate would be any different. So I think players should ultimately want to be on board with a more watchable product, which means more balls in play and a level playing field for pitchers. I mean, part of the reason. Trevor Bauer called this out in 2018 as he saw not all pitchers run an even playing field. And uh, I think out of a (laughs) – I mean, his spin rate has gone up since then because baseball hasn't been enforcing anything, I I suppose. But, yeah, I think leveling the playing field and getting more balls in play is ultimately a a good thing. Now, making it happen, policing it, a bit of a mess. But I think just some early deterrence early this summer could possibly go a long way. Yeah, it's interesting. Well, you know, I – Maybe I'm underestimating the possible effect of of really doing it could 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 have like like if they all right we're gonna check everybody in the bullpen everybody come out to the bullpen before the game let's check everything you got and then we're also gonna check after the second after the fourth after the sixth and after the eighth or or, or whatever it is and, and if they really do that and really suspend a couple of guys maybe everybody would fall in line quickly it's just that if that happens also then the effectiveness of certain guys is going to change dramatically. Then all of a sudden, whatever team we're talking about, like if, 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 for the, if you're the Yankees and Garrett Cole is now the 3.45 ERA guy that you wrote about in Pittsburgh as opposed to the 2.60 ERA guy that he became thereafter, then th- th- that becomes a very different quality of ball club, you know? So I, I, I don't know if I'm ready to see it all affected that way right now. Yeah, I, I don't know if, how many people are ready for like the TSA screening checkpointer of baseball? And I don't, you know, I don't, I don't know. Uh, are they yeah. going to be, unless you're in the hand swab business, I don't know if that's where we necessarily want this to go, but yeah. it's just the lowest, instead of like moving the mound back a foot or two feet or doing something crazy like that, I think baseball, this is the low hanging fruit if you want to try to get more balls in play. This is the biggest thing you could change. 
potentially overnight with some suspensions and maybe some sort of process like they're trying to outline with the, with the in-game checks. Uh, that's the easiest way to, to reverse the strikeout and balls of play trend. Now, will there be the resolve? Because there will be a ton of pushback from pitchers and people in the game who think this is unfair, they don't like the process. Pace of game, uh, police will be, will be uh, crying about this too. So there will be a lot of pushback. But if baseball has a resolve to do it, I think they can. I mean, SpaceX is launching rockets every other day in outer space. So I think can probably get some degree of sticky stuff off people's hands if there's a resolve to do it. <laughs> uh, Travis, uh, very fun stuff. In- enjoyed it, um, even though it's heavy stuff. Uh, I'm just curious, is there a pitcher out there who you think would not be affected as much as as much as some of us think like right now i'm thinking about all right well degrom's throwing you know degrom's at a 0.70 era or 0.62 or whatever the hell he's at right now it's it's outrageous 0.62 through nine starts um i i I imagine he would be affected i know i just referenced cole and i we know bauer and like i I wonder i mean giolito we watch here i wonder who would not be if like if spider tag and all the sticky stuff was removed who would still be great yeah, uh, no, I'm glad you asked that question because I, it would help a certain cohort of pitchers. The guy, the two seam guys, pitches a benefit from lower spin, changeups, uh, to some degree, sinkers, two seamers, those kind of pitches that kind of have gone out of style in this high fastball, high spin, high strikeout environment could come back a little bit uh, because you don't, you don't necessarily want grip enhancers on those pitches. You want to kill the spin. If anything, that's where the, the old Vaseline ball might come into play uh so yeah there are certain pitch types that i, I believe it would benefit and certain pitchers maybe a, a dallas keichel would benefit from from uh from the rest uh, from the high spin four seam guys not being able to, to use this so uh yeah that's a great question and it, it would certainly benefit some pitchers and it could bring uh, move maybe inch baseball a little bit away from the focus on strikeouts and valuing them on the pitching side Travis Sawchick from thescore.com. Thanks so much, man. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. You got it. It's a great piece. I'll tweet out the link to it in a little bit. I want to talk to you about 1968 when we come back. I know. I know. It's Spiegel. It's 2021. But the, the parallels are there. And you've heard about why, right? I want to remind you of some things that took place in 68, the year of the pitcher, and then what happened thereafter. Because I think it's incredibly instructive as to where we are right now. You want to hop in, do it at 312-644-6767. That's the phone number to call on Hit and Run on the score. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You said my world on and podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. 
Oh, I don't know that it's really tainted the game. Uh, you know, if you probably go back and check, guys have been cheating ever since baseball's been baseball. <laughs> One way or another. And they talk about the, what was that, the old White Sox scandal or whatever it was. The guys have just been cheating and they, they throw spitballs. And, and if you can get an edge, you, you get an edge. Now, this is something that was unacceptable as far as our society is concerned. So it, you know, it, it got so much press that uh, it, it, it got probably bigger, bigger than it, uh, it should have been. Uh, it's something that's illegal as far as our country is concerned, and I think that's probably the biggest problem. But uh, I'm just glad that I didn't have to make that decision on, on whether to do it or not because I've been one of those guys you were right about. Probably would have done it. I don't know. That's a great poll. Sean Anderson is the producer of Hit and Run, playing some Hendrix, which takes us back to the late 60s. And that's Bob Gibson, which takes us back to the late 60s. Um, But that's Gibson commenting on steroids and admitting there towards the end that he's glad he didn't have to make the decision because he's probably one of those guys who would have done it. It's kind of like Trevor Bauer looking at the whole league using sticky tack stuff and spider tack and all this different stuff and pointing it out and doing it for one inning to show everybody just how unlevel the playing field was and then deciding, well, eventually I'm going to have a contract here and I better catch up so I can be level. And then he pitches at a Cy Young caliber, wins it, and signs a $100 million contract with the Dodgers. So would you, would you not, if everybody was doing it, that's the same question from Gibson to Royds, then to Bauer. In 1968, Bob Gibson had a 1.12 ERA. Uh, Right now, Jacob deGrom, after being brilliant last night, has a 0.62 ERA through nine starts. That's the lowest anyone's had through nine starts since 1913. That means it's lower than Gibson in 68 after nine starts. It's lower than Dwight Gooden in 85 after nine starts or any great pitching year you can imagine and think of. And this run by DeGrom, where he's the first pitcher ever to have a season with nine straight starts of zero or one earned runs. This, this performance by DeGrom that puts Gibson's 1.12 ERA from 1968 in trouble is because of the nature of the era, as well as DeGrom's individual dominance. Feats like this are taken as part of the problematic whole because the sport was a little bit broken in 68, and I think it's a little bit broken now. A couple other quick nuggets about 1968 when Gibson had that ERA, when he struck out 17 in game one of the World Series, when Luis Tiant had a 1.60 ERA in the American League. He allowed a batting average of 168, did Luis Tiant. It was a record at the time. When Denny McLean won 31 games for the first time since 1934, somebody had done that. The pitchers won the MVPs. When Carl Yastrzemski won the batting title with a 301 batting average. During that year, Don Drysdale threw six straight shutouts. He had that consecutive scoreless inning streak of 58 and two-thirds. Remember when Oral Hershiser would later break that record? That's the year that Drysdale did it. The Cardinals, as a team, as a pitching staff, had 30 complete game shutouts. <laughs> as a team. Um, 
what is the collective batting average and slugging percentage of MLB right now? Sean, would you look? Uh, do that for me. It, the American League had a collective slugging average of 339. It's still the lowest since 1915. 339 slugging as a league for the American League. The collective batting average was 230 at the time for baseball. And that was the all-time lowest of 230. And, you know, right now, the leagues are battling that. You're looking for league slugging percentage? Yep. Uh, 396. 396. So in 68, (laughs) it was almost 60 points lower. How about league batting average? Got league batting average there for me? 236. 230. 230 is what it was then. So it's getting there. It's only six points ahead of that collective batting average. It's hard to hit. Really hard to hit. One more thing about 68. The White Sox scored only 463 runs during the regular season. They were shut out 23 times. Both of those totals are still all-time records in the era of the 162-game season. That's how bad the White Sox were in 1968. So what did they do after that season? Everybody remembers, perhaps, that they lowered the mound. It was 15 inches off the ground. After that year, they lowered it to 10 inches off the ground. Here's a couple other things they did. They expanded. They added four teams, which watered down the quality of pitching right away. And they changed the strike zone. They returned to an earlier pre-1963 strike zone, which set things back the way that they were supposed to be before 63. I don't want to expand. Let's take that one off the table. We've got enough teams. Pitching's watered down enough as it is, but guys are still great because... Among other things, they're cheating. But it is time. It is time to modify the strike zone, whether it is to eliminate some of that high strike, um, as a lot of people talk about, or whatever. But it's time to do that and make it automated. It is time. Umpires will still exist. Home plate umpires will still exist. They can get the calls in an earpiece and then make the calls. We can still have the optics and the aesthetics of the umpire making the calls. It just will be automated and regulated, and it's time. I know, hustle the technology. Work your ass off to get the technology better. And if it's not quite perfect at the start of the year, it'll be better as we go on, because guess what? Umpire strike zones are not quite perfect anyway. So modify that strike zone and make it automated pronto. Lower the mound. You want to lower the mound a couple inches? Do it. From 10 inches to 8 inches? Do it. Don't go all the way down to five. That's too little. Pitchers throw off flat ground as part of their rehabs. They're used to throwing off a little bit lower. They don't need to be all the way up there at 10 inches. Make it eight. How about that? Just give it a little push, a little nudge. And regulate the sticky stuff. Decide on one universal surf, uh, um, um, substance that everybody can use to give you just enough grip. So it's good for pitchers and hitters like that. So it's not quite chaotic and guys wouldn't worry about getting hit so much. Regulate it, share it, and get the other stuff out of the game. Do it. And then if there's one more you're going to do, 
I'd say enforce the pitch clock because that'll help with the pace of play anyway. And that will reduce the ability of pitchers to go 100% max effort every single time. It will change a lot of things subtly. So there's my plan. Modify the strike zone and automate it. Lower the mound. Regulate the sticky stuff and enforce the pitch clock. That's all you need. And if you want to, if you want to keep shifts, that's fine. But I, I just gave you the four that you need to do. And the sticky stuff is a way bigger factor than I ever really gave credit to. 312-644-6767 is the phone number. That's also how you text at 67011. So feel free to hop on in. It is hit and run on the score. We've got Ron in Mount Prospect. Ron, thanks for calling in to Hit and Run on a Sunday morning. You're on with me, Matt Spiegel. How are you? Good. Hey, I got a chance to meet Fergie Jenkins a couple of years ago, and um, the audience asked him, hey, Fergie, did you ever doctor up a ball? And he said, you know, I did it all the time. He said, look at these hands. They're brown, right? Huh. He goes, yeah. pine tar is brown, too. <laughs> and... Uh, uh-huh. Anyhow, I thought that was hysterical, but, you know, think about it. You know, pitching in Wrigley Field, high humidity, heat of summer, you know, that ball gets slippery. That was his edge. That sure. was his edge probably to hold on to the ball a little better. And um, maybe not for the action, you know, the spin and that. Um, but, you know, just to give himself a little edge. Yeah, and obviously it, it, it worked, right? Yeah, it, it, it sure did. It's funny he makes the brown hands joke because, like, in, in some of these pieces, they're like, got to be careful with pine tar because it's visible. Um, and if you're really stupid with it, it doesn't matter what the color of your skin is. You guys remember Michael Pineda with that big swatch of pine tar all over his neck a few years ago? Um, thanks for the call. Yeah, see, and pine tar might fall into the category of acceptable substance. They got to figure out which one they want to use, you know? Because uh, whatever it is is going to be mixed with rosin. Okay, so rosin plus whatever. The thing is that it can't be like the sticky stuff that Garrett Cole was texting the guy in San Diego about. Hey, I'm going to be there. Could you help me out with the sticky situation? The stuff I have seizes up in the cold weather. That's the text message when that guy went on trial. Angels Club, Clubhouse, maybe? I think Angels Clubhouse. You know, it, 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 it needs to be that. It can't be like this. Um, you know what people use is blow pops and super blow pops. Crumble all that up. Mix it with a little water. Let it reduce the stickiness of a super blow pop. So it can't be that stuff. Whatever substance you decide on, it's probably something that Fergie used. So maybe it is a little pine tar, something like that. That's, um, th- that, that's the point. Is that I'm not saying outlaw all of it. Find something that's acceptable. Regulate it. You know. Like uh, marijuana or a lot of other things. This is Edge in McHenry, who is on Hit and Run this morning with me, Matt Spiegel. Good morning, Edge. How are you? Good morning, Matt. I was listening to the discussion about the solutionizing for the substance on the ball. And it seems like checking clothes and things is just way over the top crazy. I mean, that would never, ever work because once a guy goes through the check routine... He knows where you check. He can put it somewhere else. And even if he doesn't, another player could go out there and maybe they have a meeting on the mound and he gives it to them. Instead of checking clothes or doing all that lengthy rigmarole, why not just have the ball checked after every pitch that's not hit into play? Mm -hmm. Hand it to the umpire if it's okay. Back into play. 
if yeah. it's got anything on it, you're out of the game. Yeah, and maybe after a while. Uh huh. Go ahead, Edge. Once everybody's used to it, it would be up to the umpire. Well, here, here's I'd like the, to hear your comments. Yeah, here's the situation currently, and I appreciate the call. Um, that absolutely does happen. You remember a couple years ago when the ball got stuck to Yadier Molina's chest protector as a catcher for the Cardinals? He obviously had sticky stuff there, and he would uh, get a new ball from the umpire, uh, touch it to that, put some on for his pitcher, and then toss it back out there. That's obviously what was happening there. So, yeah, to your point, that could absolutely happen. Checking the ball, I'm sure it's got to be a little bit difficult to just look at a ball and say, oh, that's what's on it. Um, they could probably invent some sort of way to test it and some sort of infrared way to test it. To do it on the spot might be difficult, but maybe they could figure that out. Here's a detail that I learned this week that, that made me laugh because, of course, because it's so baseball. Right now, it is the custom for, uh, for balls when you're finished with them, when you say, yep, I need a new ball, to throw that ball into the dugout of the team who was pitching, okay? Then they're supposed to put it in a bucket, and then those are the balls that get examined after the game, okay? It has now become common practice for a home team to instead throw those balls into the visiting dugout. This was in that SI story. It's very common that guys do that, that people do that. Oh, yeah, yep, that ball's out of play. You're right, good call. And then they put it in the other dugout, where, of course, it ends up in some other bucket. And then who knows what balls you end up getting to be examined at the end. So I, I think your idea of, of checking the balls themselves afterwards is, of course, sensible, as well as checking the pitcher and the hat and the glove and the uniform and, and whatever. Um, and also checking spin rate, you know, establish a baseline spin rate. I guarantee you this will happen. Next year at spring training is that every team will have all their guys establish baseline spin rates on their pitches. Throw me five fastballs. Okay, you're between here and here. Then if during the year you see their spin rate jump by two, three hundred RPM. All right, let's be let's go checking out those balls. I think part of that is already happening because they're already looking at StatCast data to see that. So, yeah, complicated issue. It sucks, but it, it does need to be taken care of. I, I've been on record this week saying I don't think they should do it in the middle of the season, but that conversation with Travis Sawchuk got me thinking a little bit. I wonder how quickly and effectively a couple of, uh, a couple of harsh punishments would change things and people would fall in line. I think we may get a chance to see it. Boy, people are pushing back quite a bit on the Twitters with me about my Tony La Russa bunt tweet. I want to talk about that with you before we get to Sarah Lang's at the top of the hour. And I do believe we have a White Sox and Tigers lineup to share with you. We'll get to that next on 670 The Score. What was the score at the time? 4-3? Uh, 4-3, yeah. Yeah. There's a time on second base and they lead all, and they go ahead and run it first. And if he bunts them over, you got Anderson and, and, and Madrigal. I mean... I think that's the play. Oh my God. Oh, getting into the muck of the Twitter replies is really a, it ends up being a silly way to, to pass your time, truth be told. But boy. I shared the stat that I had earlier, um, which is that combined sacrifice bunts by 
the great four teams in the best division in baseball, the American League East. Red Sox, Yankees, Tampa Bay, and Toronto. Combined sacrifice bonds by all four of those is 15. White Sox has a team, 14 successful sacrifice bonds. That's uh, just one away from four teams combined. And a manager's job is to increase the likelihood of his team winning. And when he does things that decrease the likelihood of the team winning, it should be pointed out. Because the, the bunt has become passe, especially in the American League, in such situations. It's just, if you look at all the teams at the top of the leaderboard of sacrifice bunts, they're all National League teams. All of them. Somebody sent me the leaderboard. And it's interesting because I think this guy's idea was to try to show me that the Cubs were up high. The Rockies are number one at 20 sacrifice bunts. Then the Cubs and Giants at 16. The Braves at 14. They're the White Sox. And then the Dodgers, the Phillies, and the Nationals at 12. What do those other seven teams have in, in, in common? They're all in the National Leagues. They all got to deal with the pitcher spot. So I bet the bulk of those are done by pitchers who can't hit. Not by a guy like Danny Mendick, who can absolutely swing the bat, who is right-handed, can absolutely swing the bat against a pitcher like Derek Holland, who is so completely and utterly on the ropes. And I'm not anti-bunt specifically. I mean, God, like anti-bunt as a rule, situationally, people, you know, my God. Hell, if you, if you want to bunt with the guy on second in the 10th inning and nobody out of a tie game to get somebody to third, depending on the quality of the hitter and the quality of the pitcher, if that hitter knows how to bunt, absolutely I, go for it. I would be mad if Tony LaRusso, let's say 10th inning, Luri Garcia is up uh, with a runner on second with a new extra inning rule. If he's not bunting with Luri in that situation, yeah. I'll be mad. Yeah, that's, that's the thing. It's situationally. I, I want people to understand the nuance and specifics of it. Because if I got somebody, say he's going against the lefty, say it's Luri against the Roldis Chapman. You know, and you got you got a the, that runner on second immediately bunted because there's what I believe there's seven ways, Sean, that a guy can score from third base, and they include obviously wild pitch, squeeze bunt, like a million different ways to do it. We'll get back to this conversation, that's for sure. You're listening to Hit and Run. It is me, Matt Spiegel, here with you on six seventy, the score. And we were hoping to have a chance to talk to this guy, and we do. Thrilled. It is Tommy Nance from the Cubs bullpen who joins us right now on the score. Tommy, good morning out there in California, and really appreciate you coming on. How you doing? Good morning. Uh, it's uh, awesome to be on. I'm doing good. West Coast is <laughs> is nice. It's nice being out here. Yeah, yeah. Tell tell me what what's what's your view out the window right now? Are you lying in bed right now as well? <laughs> I'm sitting at the the hotel room desk. Nice. And, uh, the view ain't bad. Oh, that, that, that's good. That's good. Um, it, obviously, your first time pitching out there at what used to be Pac Pell, now at that park. That's a beautiful place to play and to pitch. Got you got a chance to get out there last night with the Cove out there. Was that is that another sort of pinch me moment to be in the big leagues on the West Coast for you? Uh, for me, I think it is just because I'm from here. I'm from, well, not here. I'm from Southern California, but you know, anytime we get a chance to play on the West coast, it's, it's an opportunity for friends and family to come see me too. And, you know, come see me at this level. And, you know, here in San Francisco, like I went to school at Santa Clara, so we would come up and go to games, uh, giants games here and there during school. So it's cool being on the field. 
Yeah, Santa Clara. Um, and my nephew's going there, actually, in the fall. Um, so I'm looking forward to visiting him out there. I hear it's beautiful. Um, let, let's yeah. start there as we think about your story a little bit, Tommy. Undrafted out of Santa Clara. Were, were you good enough to be drafted, you think? Or were there injury issues at the time while in college? Um, I, had, I had a little bit of injury problems, mostly just my, my uh, senior year. Um, I always thought that I had good enough numbers and stuff to at least get looked at and that that did happen um here and there um i believe one of the one of the draft years on draft day i got called twice saying hey we might take you in this round um you know yada 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 but you know Mm. things didn't end up shaping up that way Mm. and then tommy john surgery after college and then you end up with the windy city thunderbolts in crestwood illinois um tell me about coming to see the Cubs against the Nationals in 2015, a game I might have been at too, that you and your, your Thunderbolts <laughs> teammates are in the stands at Wrigley Field. What is, what is the mindset for you at the time as, as you're throwing independent league ball and sitting there in Wrigley? I mean, it being one of my first games ever at Wrigley, um, you know, I grew up an Angels fan, so I went to Anaheim Stadium my whole life. And, you know, being in Chicago, I was like, you know, I got to I got to go. I got to go to Wrigley. Like, when am I going to get another opportunity to go catch a game at Wrigley? So, you know, a bunch of us decided to go up for a game. We actually went to two games that year. Um, and and there's not really a bad seat in, in that house. Um, let me tell you, it was it was pretty amazing being there and also you know, motivation for, for us independent ball guys. Like, you know, this is what our ultimate goal is. It's not to stay in the ball. It's to, to get to that level. Um, so it's it was cool being at that stadium and, you know, definitely motivating. You know, and you sign a minor league deal in 2016 with the Cubs, play at four different levels in the Cubs system. In 2017, there's that nerve issue in the shoulder that I read about. And then I wrote that kind of journal entry of sorts that you put on Twitter. It's still there from, from, mm-hmm. four, from four years ago, talking about fighting forward in, in, in the career. What, what, what do you think kept you? And it's still four years ago, so there's even more to come, you know? But, but like, what, what kept you <laughs> fighting? What, what was it that, you kept, uh, that kept you wanting to keep trying and keep working your way to get here? Well, for me, it's just, it's something that I've always wanted to do. And I've never let setbacks or injuries really get in my way. Um, kind of just figuring out what do I want? What do I have to do to get what I want? And, you know, if it's an injury, maybe I can take this time to, to get better in areas that I, I can't use, you know, like nerve injury can't really use my arm so what am I going to do I can get my lower half better you know and then in uh 18 I had lower half issues so what can I work on I can work on my upper body like any any little bit that's going to push me in the direction of you know my goals and dreams and you know it's it's having that big goal but then having the the small goals along the way to make it happen you know I never lost sight of that and I think that injury really lit a fire under me and I still have that that tweet pinned because it's still a constant reminder and and now that I'm here um I want to stay here yeah 
Yeah, well, it, it's, it's a beautiful thing. I'm glad you have it twinned. It's great. It's one of my favorite things about the game, Tommy, is that we can, we can end up having stories like yours, can end up seeing that if people don't give up and people keep fighting and trying, it, it, you, you can make it. I, I hope you have felt that kind of gratification personally. And have you heard from people who've, who've appreciated the story in that kind of a personal way? Yeah, I mean, the, the uh, you know, from home, I can start there. Like, the support has been amazing. Like, yeah. The support from people back in Long Beach who, who have seen me, you know, work hard over the years and seen me not not give up regardless of how, how difficult things might seem or, you know, how, how easy it might be to just say, you know what, I'm going to move on to something else. You know, I'm getting older. It's probably time to go, you know, get a a desk job and you know it's something that i never wanted to do and then like you have people who i've never met like reaching out saying that you know the story is helping motivate them to to keep fighting and that's that to me is worth more than anything else like if if i can help one person like then it's worth it yeah, that, that, that's great stuff. All right, and then, Tommy, tell me what you did during pandemic. I want to know, because you're, you're a reliever in 2019 at AA, and then the pandemic comes, and you clearly are a guy who worked your ass off, pushed yourself during quarantine. There's, there's velocity added. There's control. I want to know how you did what you did and what the focus was as you tried to work on your game in that time. Well, during that time, let's see, I was – basically getting most of my work in at a at a park in Arizona mm-hmm. um, had a had a uh, portable mound that uh, one of my teammates had built and we were throwing bullpens off of that and it, the, the good thing about you know there being that shut down for some of us was it was an opportunity to really like work on things and hone our craft and um, you know, I just continued to work on my body the best that I could. And as difficult as that was, since gyms were closed down, like I had a hard time finding, you know, weightlifting equipment, like things like that. But I was able to, you know, work on my mechanics and clean those up and get them as efficient as possible. And I think that's where a lot of the, that bump came from is being more consistent, um, being more efficient with how I moved down the mound. Um, you know, in terms of stuff, uh, I've been telling a lot of people this lately, like I've always had that stuff. It's just finally time for people to see it. (laughs) And, you know, like you can talk to a lot of people that I've come up with and, um, they could tell you, I mean, my, my curveball has been my, my pitch, my whole career. Uh, I've always had movement on my sinker. Uh, flatter was a pitch that I developed later, but you know, it's, been good the only other the only difference is that uh, the velo bump and that's just me learning my body hmm. uh, see, that that's awesome no i uh I, I like the idea of the portable mound see that's what i like picturing were you cat <laughs> were you catching each other you and the teammate or like just just throwing into a net uh, who, who was your catcher at that time um we had i mean we had a few guys uh come out we had a nice little small a uh, unit of of uh, players who were, you know, either not at the alternate side or trying to get signed by a team, um, all kind of working together. And that, like, those types of environments are really cool too because we're all bouncing ideas off of each other. Everybody has the same the same end goal, and 
you know, there's no, like, oh, I'm competing against you for a job type of a thing. It's how, how can we make each other better yeah. um, during this time? Because during that time, that was what was really important. And, uh, you know, we had a couple catchers who would come out and catch our bullpens. And then when it got time to, uh, you know, ramping up a little bit, we'd throw to them and let them hit. So we were helping them to yeah. get ready. Yeah. All right, all right, Tommy. Last thing, I really appreciate your time. It seems like you know you've been called on in a lot of high stress situations, and do you think do you think the the decade that you have spent kind of getting ready to be here makes the high pressure situations seem perhaps uh, a little less anxiety filled than it might be for somebody else? Yeah, honestly, it doesn't really like get to me. I mean, it. it it may have in the past. I mean, like, I know back in high school, I can remember some times where, like, it'd be a bigger situation and, you know, I'd be a little more nervous or, you know, whatever the case may be. But, like, now, I mean, I haven't really gone into a situation so far this year where I have had any extra weight on my shoulders. It's like I understand the job that I have to do, who I'm about to face, and I feel very prepared and, you know, very capable and ready to get that job done because that's at the end of the day, that's what they're calling on me to do um, to to get a job done. And for me, it's all the hard work and all the um, time put into it has prepared me for that. So now at that time, it's just time to go out and do it. Uh, That's the way it seems. Tommy, thanks for calling in, man. Great to meet you uh, like this and a best to you and your family, and congrats on getting up here, and keep it going. We'll talk to you down the road. Thank thank you, and thanks for having me on. You got it. That's Tommy Nance of the Chicago Cubs. It's 670 The Score. We're way late for a break. Sarah Langs from MLB Network will join us. Lots of people texting in about the Tony La Russa bunt thing as if they didn't hear my first fully nuanced conversation about it, so we'll have to get back to it later on uh, in the next hour. But we'll be back with Sarah Langs here on Hit and Run on The Score. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively sports. Back clock at four. Doncic. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Yes, and even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening.